Well, good morning. Thank you for coming this morning. And uh, man, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, that was, that was uh, I do want to thank all of our elders and uh, Raphael Lua as a ministry leadership council being here to support us during this time. Let's give them a hand. Amen. Uh, you know, as we begin this morning, welcome to church. And if you're visiting with us this morning and you're going, man, you guys got some issues going on. We do. Look to your left and look to your right. Those are people with issues. I'll be honest. And and look up here. Look up here. I, I got all the issues myself. And... You know, obviously we're laughing, but it's a serious matter, right? But if you're visiting with us, thank you for coming out today. This is, we don't do this every Sunday. Uh, so if you're wondering, if you're thinking of, I wonder if I got coming back or not, come on back. Let us, let us earn your trust. Let us earn your friendship. Amen. Uh, we, we love God, but this is what real church is all about, to be honest. This, it's what it's about. So... You know, you may not agree, you may disagree, and that's okay, you know. But uh, we're going to go by the word of God, and, and that's how our leadership is, and that's what our church believes in. And so let's work together to really uh, honor God in a great way. Amen? How do we do this here? Can somebody help me out here, so? It's going to, like, fall over every time. There we go. There we go. Oh, wow. We got to go that low. It's for guys 5'1 and under, right? Uh, there we go. We're good. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Zoe. Awesome. Ephesians chapter 4. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Can you hear me? Okay. It's hard for me to... There we go. Perfect. I won't touch the podium at all. Now, for those of us who have been experiencing a lot of loss as we have been going through this process together, uh, grief recovery is going on today at 3.30, amen, at the building. So if you signed up for grief recovery, and honestly, after reading that letter, I'm sure a lot of us may have some grief. Uh, But it it is going on at 3.30 today at the building, amen? And so I want to uh, appreciate it. You know, thank everyone for coming out and going to that and getting some help where we need to get help. So, you know, that letter, though, gang, is written out of a Luke 15 spirit. Does that make sense? We got issues up here just even with the microphone right now. You know? There we go. Come on, Fred. Make, we got it? Awesome. No problem. These microphones aren't made for guys 5'5 five, five and under, I guess. But hey, Zacchaeus was in the Bible, right? I'll just move on with that. Okay. Uh, Yeah, the letter was written out of a Luke 15 spirit. You know, that while people have left, we are brokenhearted over here. And I hope you feel that. We are brokenhearted. So that letter was not done out of anger or frustration, but brokenheartedness, actually, to, to repent and to come back to God. And, you know, there's things on our side we're growing as well. So just know that, amen, that that was a letter of love. And so Ephesians chapter 4, one of the things we're going to talk about today is about forward in unity, amen? Because we've been talking a lot about unity in our congregation. And one of the things 
uh, in, as you go to uh, Ephesians chapter 4, you know, I've been involved in my master's program. I've been in my first semester at this college called Ro- Rochester College. I've been up to my neck in like three classes. Uh, many of you know who Cesar Lopez is. He's in my class. Rafael Lua, who was up on stage, uh, he's in his second year of the master's program. He'll be done at the end of, uh, at the end of this year. He'll be done. And uh, we're all about getting education right now so that we can grow spiritually to how to really encourage and empower the church to do that as well. Amen? And so one of the things that's exciting about going through theology is you're learning a lot about God and the rhythms of God, but you're, we're also learning a lot about the Bible and how it applies to any situation that you can be in. And so as we're in a transition right now, this is an excellent book to study as we're in a, a time of transition because it's all about dealing with a church in unity. I mean, if you actually look in the Bible, basically every church had this unity in it. Now think about just marriages for a minute. Is there any marriage in here that hasn't had any kind of disunity? Anybody? Look around. Who's bold enough to raise their hand? Yeah, we know you'd be lying, that's why, right? Unless you, like, unless you got married like one minute ago, right? Other than that, we all have division happening all the time and have disunity. What about with your kids? Your kids just all listen, right? They're all, they just come out obedient and they're, by the time they hit teenage years, they're like, I obey everything my mom and dad says. Let's be honest. Most of us are terrible, disobedient children, right? And so this book that we're going to look at today can really encourage us and help us to grow spiritually. So as we dive into our text, but the context of this, it's important to understand context. So in the, one of the problems in Ephesus is you had two groups of people in the church. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. And Jew, how many of you grew up religious? Raise your hand. Awesome. Look, how many, look around, gang. A lot of people grew up religious. Okay? That means you grew up with some kind of religious background and knowledge of God. Now, how many of you, like me, exactly on the other side of the spectrum, were pagan? See, the pagans, they, somehow you feel uncomfortable at church, right? If you're a pagan and you, oh, uh, yeah, that's, that's me. Well, I grew up pagan. And in the church in Ephesus, you have two groups of people. There are Jews who are strong about the history of God, tradition, culture. Like some of you in the room, you might have looked at the song service today. And if you come from a religious background, you want strict certain kinds of songs, right? Anything with like spiritual songs or anything with, a, with a, a, you know, music in the background is like, that's not of God, man, to do something like that. Well, you probably came from that kind of background. Those of us who are Gentile and we hear stuff like that, we're like, man, we got to like hit, get with the times, you know, Let, let's, let's crank it up a little bit at church. Well, you might be Gentile. And there's this whole, there's this whole uh, two groups of people that are within a church and a church that is born out of uh, Judaistic background. The people that go to it are having to adjust to a group of Gentiles coming into the church, trying to do things differently. And so there's that tension that needs to be managed. Like it's great to be married, right? But then you have a child and your child wants to run everything in the world. And now you got to learn how to manage that tension that goes on there. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. How to manage that tension. Because you know what the greatest threat, you know who the greatest threat to unity is? Me. The greatest threat to this church is me. The greatest threat to this church is you not focusing on anybody else? You know, I see Makoto over there. Mac, stand up for a second. 
Mac is the greatest Japanese threat to this church. But he's also can be a bridge builder and a peacemaker. A Japanese one, if you will. Okay? Pablo Padilla, he, he can be the greatest threat to the church. Or he can be the greatest bridge builder. And so as we go into our lesson, today what we're going to be talking about is how Paul, how Paul taught the church to build unity. Because unity doesn't just happen, just like having kids just doesn't make them obedient. Just like getting married doesn't make you're going to, that you're going to have a close, connected marriage. So in verse 1, let's read. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. How many of you look at that and go, man, I'm just trying to be humble. You know, but to be completely humble, boy, it's like a miracle. Red Sea moment needs to happen to do that, right? Like, I'm just striving to be humble, but completely humble? Make, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and spirit, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One of the cool things that you see about this passage that Paul is talking about is you get to see the different kinds of godly attitudes that are there. And when uh, the calling that we get when we are Christian is you're called to live the life of Jesus, but not only live that life, to start to think differently and have different attitudes. You know, attitude is everything, right? Like if you wanted to just come into church today because you had a bad attitude, you could. But you can also have the attitude of, look, I'm going to come to serve today, right? Now, today was a heavy... That was a heavy letter that was written, and I'm sure a lot of us have many feelings. And so I want to take us on a little journey today so you, you have some context to, the, to why this letter was just recently read. But as we go through the lesson today, consider these things. As you hear different things, have the attitude of humility, of gentleness, of patience, as well as learning to bear, one another in, bear with one another in love. Amen? Because that's, what it, that's how, how unity is built. It's built by having certain attitudes. It does, it's not like we just show up to church and next thing you know, everything is unified. It's not. We have to actually think differently. We actually have to have a different heart, a different mindset, a different attitude when we approach anything in our church. And so as we go through this process, I want to give you some context. Because you've just heard the Cliff Notes version of a letter that was just written over a two-year span. And so our church right now is going through a state of transformation. Amen. And if you don't pay attention, you're going to miss because you're going to miss your transformation because you might be too busy thinking about everybody else's transformation. And yet this transformation we're in is for us personally as a congregation, not for just the leadership, but for the membership, because we've gone through different types of things. Now, I want to show is, is I want to show you a picture for a minute. I've shown this many times before. Okay. And this is the last time I'm showing this. I'm so sick of showing this already. And, and for Metro East, this is probably the first time you're seeing it, right? Downtown might be the first time. But for those of us in the 9 and the 11 and the 5, we're like, dude, is Phil Reed in the room today? Is Phil Reed in the room? Where's Phil? Where? Oh, he's not here. Okay, good. Amen. Well, Phil did that right there. Amen. 
But not in a negative way. He, he was just, this is the fence at the Metro LA building, at the Gardena building. And one day, one night, he was coming to a service, and he was backing up his car, and his car just nudged the fence, and the whole fence fell down, illustration on the left right there. Now, I believe that's Moses Edgerlin out there looking like, I can't even believe this happened, and I'm going to have to call Reese, Kiana, and Doug right now to talk to them about it. And, and the, the one on the right is later on, everything was broken up, and that's what our fence was built on. And the problem with the fence is while it had all kind of concrete there, there was no rebar in the concrete. And so as soon as Phil's car just nudged it, the whole wall fell over. Anybody in this room could have went there and just pushed it over because there was no foundation there. And if I had to give you an illustration about our region, that's the illustration I would say. Is that our foundation has been a little rocky for a period of time. And so the reason why we're in a process is to be able to uproot all that foundation that's faulty and lay a solid foundation of Jesus Christ there. Amen? And so that's why we've been in a process. And so here's a couple things. I, we love Dave and Robin. I've had a 27-year relationship with them. Everything in my life, basically, has... Every event that has happened, he's been a part of my life in that. So this is a very difficult thing, but we prescribe to lordship over friendship, right? Like, you got to do what's right before God no matter what. And, it, and it's difficult. It's hard. And I'm not saying you need to feel for me or anything like that, but it's been challenging. And, but as we look at our region, it's been rough. And so things might look a little blurry right now. But as we're coming out of it, I want to talk about different stages that we've been in. We've, we've, we've been in a process where there's three stages. The first stage was a stage of discovery in, in, uh, after October 2016. And as we went through a stage of discovery, we had a first report, Okay. And, and the first report prior to all these things happening from October 2016, uh, you know, we had a region leader that resigned. Many of you know who that region leader was. I don't, I don't want to necessarily talk about the name. And then Doug and Joanne Weber stepped in as the regional as, it, as uh, regional elders, but also started leading our region to just pull us together when we were in a crisis mode. And from 2016 to 2018, they served in that capacity. But what ended up happening is on our staff, we had major conflict going on on our staff. How many of you have major conflict in your small group at times? Yeah, don't raise your hand, okay? We want, we want everybody to come on back. Uh, but for, for many of us, it's a reality that, that we have conflicts going on. And as conflict goes on, if you don't resolve them, don't ever believe somebody telling you that time just heals the conflict. Because it doesn't. you got to work it out and deal with things. And so we, we went through a process and hired a consultant to be able to do that. But we've had tremendous conflict on our staff. And many of you have even felt that conflict played out right in, either at a service or right out in small groups and, and tension being there at different events. Well, what ended up happening is in the midst of all our conflicts, we, went, we hired a consultant who was outside of our group to be able to help us see clearly a bit what some of our challenges were. And so the first stage that we went in was called a stage of discovery. And, and, and that started in, uh, I believe, uh, May. Okay, A report came out. How many of you read the report? 
Okay, some of you read the report. How many of you haven't even heard of a report? Okay, we did a fighting chance workshop with the congregation to invest in personal and professional relationships. And then we went through a time of mediations and repairing rep uh, reputations in our congregation because there are reputations that were hurt. And we did, we went to, we went, it culminated to a day of atonement. Do you remember that service in Long Beach where the, your staff got up there and confessed their sin to their whole group? And so we're a church that believes in confessing our sins when we've been, when we've wronged somebody. And that's where we were at at that time. Whether you knew what was going on or not, <laughs> not 100% sure on that, but that's what, that's what we were trying to do. And we needed to deal with things and, and, and really work it out and, and go through a day of atonement together. I do want to lift up Ron Quint and Jerry Sugarman because those two brothers from the North region, I mean, we got to at least give them a gift basket or something, man. I mean, they spent two years, two years trying to help us resolve. So for those of you who are looking at this and going, man, this is new. This is not new for us. We've been in a process for over two years, and I do want to thank them. And after a Matthew 18 process, repeated amount of times of talking to one another, it didn't work. So we involved the L.A. leadership in it and then asked a consultant to come in to help us. And so that's what happened in that. In stage two, we started putting some things into practice. A second report came out. There were three collaborative teams that were developed so that we could figure out how do we govern in the near future. The Kims went through a resignation. During that period, the LA leadership sent between 10 to 15 evangelists and elders to the faith point sector to encourage them, support them, love them through this time. I have never, ever, ever, ever seen that kind of support in my 26 years of being a Christian. That many elders and evangelists coming to a group to provide support and, uh, you know, to show love and, and, and encouragement to a group that is going through a difficult time. As we went to stage two, we started entering into stage three. And we had a third report that just recently came out. Some of you, if you don't have it, please talk to your staff. During this time, a house church was started that, that uh, we were made aware of, and we started to engage in it. During that time, as that house church was beginning, Grace and I, were, with a decision of the Ministry Leadership Council, was put in charge of overseeing two sectors the Faith Point sector and the South City sector at the Gardena building with the Esperantos and the Voos as lead shepherds there. Amen. And we've been working together uh, during that process, uh, trying to work toward a new future in the region. Now, the letter that you heard today that was written, that was written by the elders, MLC and MLA leadership group, we didn't take this lightly. We've been in this for two years trying to talk, work things out, more meetings, more talks. Those five men, Steve Staten on the consultant, uh, as a consultant, the RFAC approved. We spent $44,000 to get us help as part of this consultation. Some of you are going, say that again. You just woke up as part of the presentation right now. <laughs> we spent a lot of money because you're worth it. You're worth it. The staff's worth it. People are worth it here. So we spent a lot of money. If you're still stuck on the 44000 amen. Talk to your RFAC, issue, RFAC members on that. But they asked us questions to, to, because it is expensive. And if you've ever run and owned a business like that, you understand how expensive uh, uh, hiring a consultant is. But we, we felt like we needed to use that money, gang, to help our church do better spiritually. 
And so that's where we spent a lot of our money on it. And we've still been in that. Amen? And so as that has taken place, I just want you to know, in full transparency, these are some of the things that decisions that we've made as a leadership group. And we stand behind them because our fellowship is worth it. That's why. So you may not agree with the money, but man, the help that we're getting right now is unbelievable. That, and we are getting healthier spiritually as we go. We have been. The second thing in, in chapter 7, and I'll, I'll almost wrap it up. In verse, in verse 7 it says, But to each one of us, chapter 4, verse 7, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. One of the things about this passage that is so profound is that in the Old Testament, whenever a king conquered another king, that king plundered the other king and took all of the the goods and the plunder in it and and kept it. Well, one of the things Christ did as as he came into the New Testament and as he conquered, basically he gave, instead of taking plunder and getting it for himself, he gave gifts out to men and women in the church. And those men and women in the church would serve in different roles. And uh, it, it's pretty powerful. And as it goes down more, what, go to verse 11. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be a prophet, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of my Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Amen? The second thing that builds unity, guys, is godly leadership. Amen? That there's godly leadership in the church. There's different roles. Everybody has a certain gift that is used. So it's not just the leadership in the church. You've been given gifts as well, and we need you to exercise those gifts right now, more now than ever. Amen? And as we get those gifts, there's this word. There's, a, there's the reason why that God puts these uh, gifts into place. And the word that is used is so that the leadership can equip God's people. It's this Greek word here. Say that word. Katartizen. Okay? Which means to repair, to restore to a former condition or to prepare. And it's used in different ways, in different contexts. In politics, this word means reconciling factions. In the medical field, it's putting a dislocated limb back into place. In fishing, it's mending nets. In the military, it's supplying an army with provisions. The basic idea is adjustment, though. It's about putting all the right parts into right relation and connection. In other words, the gifts of leadership is to help people get into the right condition so that they can serve God with the best of their ability. And so we have leadership in the church, amen? And so I'm very proud of the uh, L.A. leadership that is here, and I'd like them to stand so we can recognize them and show our respect to them. I'd like to have all the L.A. leadership, that the elders that are visiting from other places, stand for a second. They don't want to. I know they don't want to. And their wives. And their wives, stand. Amen? They don't want to, but that's a true sign of an elder. They don't want the attention, but I'm giving them the attention because they deserve that for, just out of respect for the role. You may not agree, right? It's like, it's like anything in leadership. You may not agree with the person in leadership, but you sure should respect the role of it. And we do respect leadership, amen? And I pray that you'll, you, will, you, will, you will work with us as we stand behind the L.A. leadership on this decision right here as we move forward. 
as well as even our own Metro LA leadership, and as well as our own deacons. I'd like them to stand. Please stand if you're a, a Metro LA, uh, serve on staff in Metro LA. Please stand. Okay? We're grateful. We're thankful. How about all of our small group leaders? Please stand. All of our small group leaders in the whole church. Please stand. Okay? These are all our leaderships. Now, it's not just that, though. How about all of our membership stand? Because you're in this as well. Our membership stand. Come on, get our membership up. Amen. Our membership aren't with us, man. They're not with us here. It's not to build, it's not to glorify you. It's to glorify God. And he gave you a gift. So if you really want to honor God, honor the gift you have. Use the gift you have spiritually. Amen. The last thing I want to, and we'll close out right here. Here's the result of godly leadership. Unity and maturity and stability. Not disunity. Not immaturity. Not instability where there's a dependence on man. If you're waiting for a man to tell you to do something in the kingdom of God, open your Bible. You don't need a man to tell you what to do. You got the Bible to tell you what to do. I'm not saying don't get direction, don't get advice. I'm saying what should motivate you and move you and inspire you is your own relationship with God. And leadership is to help in that process. Amen? And it's going to provide unity and maturity and stability, not disunity, immaturity, and, uh, uh, you know, being unstable. Oh, amen? It's just not healthy. In verse 17, we'll close out here. The last thing that builds unity. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due in them to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. The third point I want to make today, it, it, what builds unity is godly thinking. Amen? There's this contrast between Gentile thinking that is futile. Gentile thinking means you, you, you think things, but there's no God in the midst of it. Like you're going to make a decision, but haven't thought through, how is, this going to, how is my decision going to affect God in it? How is this going to affect God's church? How is this going to affect God's kingdom? That's Gentile thinking is void of that kind of thinking. Does that make sense? It's void of God. 
It's actually full of self. Gentile thinking is, well, if I do this today and show up and drive all the way out to Cerritos, how is this going to benefit me today? Rather than, what do you mean? How does this benefit us today? How does this benefit God and his kingdom for everybody? I know a lot of you drove a long way, and thank you for coming out. We totally appreciate that. But there's Gentile thinking and kingdom thinking. Amen? And one of the things in it, there's a softness of heart and a hardness of heart. And, and that's the difference in thinking. One is very hardened to spiritual principles. One is very soft-hearted right now. And that's the amazing thing about Gentile thinking. Amen. You see this girl right here? She has this uh, disorder called congenital insensitivity to pain. Means she can't feel any type of pain. And that's what happens spiritually when our heart gets so hardened where you just no longer can feel anything anymore. So today, if you feel sad, that's a good thing. Amen? Today, if you feel heavy-hearted, that's a good thing. Today, if you feel like, man, I need to repent and grow, and wow, it could lead to something, that's a good thing. Today, you might feel joy going, man, we're finally moving on at the moment. That, that's a good thing. Amen? But to be soft-hearted in the midst of everything and not so hardened. And so as we close today, Gentile thinking is all about being, being unaware of sin. No sense of shame or decency. It's greedy. Gentile thinking is an awareness of sin. Honorable, king, kingdom thinking, sorry about that. Awareness of sin, honorable in heart, and very giving in attitude. Amen? Well, why is it important we understand how to build unity? Because unity builds up the family of God. And so as we close, you know, the practical is get rid of the trash. How often do you take your trash out? How many of you go, oh, I'll wait a month to take the trash out? Yeah, so bitterness, rage, anger, malice, all those things, get rid of it daily. I want to call us to get rid of it daily. Daily. Don't wait two days, three days, four days. Get rid of bitterness, anger, malice, all those things daily. That's the practical I'd like you to leave today. And so as we close today, we're going to stand and sing one closing song, and I'll have the song leaders come up. As we close today, well, what builds unity? Well, Godly attitudes build unity. Amen? Godly gifts build unity. Godly thinking builds unity. Well, why is it important? So, because unity builds up the family of God. What's the practical? Thank you for your time and your attention. Let's have a great day of fellowship.